everybody, and welcome to the 87, uh, 82nd episode of the second most downloaded non-game day Nuggets show on this podcast feed. Feed, that's right. Eat your heart out. Fan vote and online with D-Line. Welcome to the DNVR Nuggets' Serbian Corner. My name is Miroslav Cuk, and 82 episodes is a big milestone to me. An NBA team plays 82 regular season games, but it took me two and a half seasons to get there because I take more games off than Ben Simmons and Kawhi Leonard combined. This week, we've seen three Nuggets games, the home rematch against the Blazers, and you know how much I appreciate each one of the 17 games the Nuggets play against the Blazers per year, and the road games against the Lakers and the Kings. Versus Portland, it was a reasonable to expect a low-effort game from the champs since Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon decided to get a free day and presumably see the mountains. The starters looked like shit and the bench kept the team attached, but Coach Malone didn't want to risk anything. He only played nine guys but kept it to eight in the second half when we once again saw Aaron Gordon as a backup five. And that lineup, together with the starters, broke the game open and secured the win. It was a great comeback comeback game from Christian Brown, another solid performance for Peyton Watson. Reggie made baskets when needed, and Jamal was excellent leading the staggered lineup. It was just a single-double night from Jokic, but win is what counts. The trade deadline after that brought us a bunch of more or less marginal moves. The Knicks were the most active and the three teams that had the most confidence in their squads did nothing. I'm, of course, talking about the Nuggets, the Lakers and the Warriors. Zing. Actually, that's not true for the Nuggets. They did make one move. They got some cash from the Clippers to give them the phone number of Ishmael Kamagate. So the dream of Wemby Stopper in Denver is now officially over. Much more about the trade deadline in a few minutes. On Thursday, the Nuggets visited the Lakers. Kobe's statue was revealed next to the arena, so naturally it was the champions' responsibility to ruin their night. The Lakers were pretty chippy and had the game tied two minutes before the end of the fourth quarter, But then Jamal, Nikolai, and MPJ took over, and those were the least clutch clutch minutes in history. Lastly, the good guys traveled to the capital of California to combat the Kings on the second night of a back-to-back. Sega Baba, baby. MPJ missed his first game this season, joining KCP in the street clothes. The Nuggets had an excellent first quarter, had a nine-point lead five seconds before the end of it, Conceded a three, Peyton lost the ball on the inbound, and Michael Jordan, disguised as Malik Monk, drained a last-second three. Another three in the first possession of the second quarter, and that was all the Nuggets were prepared to do in Sacramento. Also, this kept the perfect streak of games lost right before the Serbian corner after winning all the other games of the week. Again, thank you, Nuggets, for keeping both of my feet on the ground. All right, I can tell you're already sick of uh, me yapping solo, so let's bring in some help. And we have a packed house today. First, a guy who has been a certified buckets since 88, the biggest MPJ advocate I know, and a prolific user of football analogies, 
while taking, uh, talking about basketball, calling from the banks of the Mississippi River in New Orleans, Louisiana. It's Pistol Pete Martin. What up, Pete? What's up, Miroslav? Happy Mardi Gras season. I uh, hope you're enjoying the basketball season as well. Are you outdoors in your T-shirt? Yes, I am. It's a beautiful 73 degrees in the world today. That's a, that's a great look for you. That's a great look. Okay, next, a debutant on the show, one of my favorite Nuggets Twitter's accounts, a Nuggets fan always ready to talk actual hoops from Denver, Colorado. It's Will Jones. Welcome to the show, Will. Hello, thank you for having me. Excited to finally be on the Serbian corner. So you are not outside in your t-shirt then? No, no, it's way too snowy in Denver. I got to be inside right now. Uh, it's it, it's so funny. We have s- such different climates uh, around the globe on this panel, but but not not too much about that. Let's now get in another MPJ advocate. He is my favorite uh, Nuggets storyteller who should write a lot more than he does. An advanced user of fancy words the English probably adopted from other languages. He is a former host of podcasts called How to Train Your Dragon and Full Court Press. And now one of the essential fellas in the Nuggets verse, calling from Denver via New Jersey and Los Angeles, it's Brendan B-Dog. Vote. Welcome back to the show, B-Dog. What's up, fellas? Will, nice to meet you. Peter, nice to see you. Miroslav, this show might end in you getting like a Serbian late night show. Your opening monologues are getting pretty good, man. You're getting pretty good. Jimmy Kimmel sweating a little bit. That's all. I don't know, man. I think there's a future. I don't have a lot to offer, so I really do my best to do my... No, they're getting good. They're getting good, man. I was actually cracking up back there. I used to think they were boring, but now they're pretty good. Yeah, thank, thank you for being, being honest. Uh-huh. Okay, last but not least, my former co-host of this very podcast, a doctor of science with a sweet shooting stroke from uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. It's Voya Medic. Hey, it's really good. It's been a while. I'm rusty, but I'm wearing the MPJ shirt because I'm I, I'm like on the MPJ train. Peter knows my affliction towards MPJ from before, but now he he flipped me over in the Discord over the years and online. So let's go MPJ. Serbia is yeah. not as stubborn as we all thought, right? Yep. Hey, well, you want change? Boy, do you have the wire? Is that the wire? Yeah, yeah. In the background there. The back. I all forgot right, to turn right, it off. Yes. A man of culture. Okay. <laughs> so Pete, you you mentioned that Serbs are not as as uh, stubborn about MPJ as you thought. Well, I don't think you're talking to the right guys. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we're like kind of dragging should, this to the other end. So you should move to like uh, Nuggets Facebook if you want to see the real stuff. <laughs> oh God! So okay, uh, first of all, let's talk a bit about the Lakers and the Kings games. I don't want to talk about the Portland game because I have no idea what happened there. It was so long ago. If I didn't have any notes, I would just blank out. So, versus the Lakers, Jamal was at least a top 15 guy in Nuggets' seventh win in a row. Pete, what do we do with him? Should we just stop talking about his level of play since we all seem to repeat ourselves? When we talk about Jamal being great only in marquee matchups in the regular season, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried about him. I mean, 
sometimes, yeah, he doesn't have the best games, but I think we get spoiled because we get to watch Jokic every night who pretty much never has a bad game. So I think Jamal is just like a normal, really good player in the NBA. And, uh, you know, guards typically just aren't going to shoot as high a percentage. So he's going to have some duds here, there, but I'm not worried about him. Will, how, how do you feel about Jamal? Do, do you see anything different from him this season comparing to the seasons before? I don't know that I see anything different. I mean, other than the fact that he seemingly always tries to play himself into shape every year. And we've been talking about him getting, you know, hitting his like peak performance right at the perfect time. Um, and that seems to be a consistent thing. But with his injuries, it's hard to know if he's going to continue that or if he's ever going to come into the season in top shape. But uh, with the Lakers, I mean, Yeah, he, he plays good when the lights are bright, but the Lakers are also a very good matchup for him. They, they have no answer for him at all on the perimeter. Like Max Christie is not good enough. Um, D'Lo is not good enough. Uh, so we were just running around screens easy. And, I mean, Jamal is going to do what he does and hit those shots and keep frustrating the Lakers fans. So I love it. They have Spencer Dinwiddie now. Come on. Their defense is going to be so much more stout, uh, right? <laughs> yes. Totally. <laughs> well, how, how did you feel about Jamal's game against the Lakers? Uh, it's, I mean, it's the best. I, I, I learned over the years just to like let it go with him. I can't get annoyed from like these ups and downs. Uh, I will said it. Like my always, my always thought with him is that he's not in shape like if he was always in shape like he was in the bubble like that break between and then that sh like he would have been the all nba not just all-star uh i do love him irritating lakers fans especially with with those games uh because I, it's really cute because they you can see that they're not really watching a lot of other stuff that they thought torian prince was gonna guard him well when the only game against the the, the wolves last year in the playoffs was when torian prince started And Jamal just went off and got hot. And that was that game two in, in Denver. And Finch went back to Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And Jamal went back to, like, quote-unquote earth in that series. But as the other stuff with him is at least the, the floors aren't as drastically bad as they were. Like that. And, and also his, like, I think his swing up, like his ceiling is much higher than it was. So his good games are really, like, really, really good now. It's not, like, 23-13. Like, it's actually, like, oh, 30 points and then... 10 assists now like we're consistently seeing more of his playmaking uh that he picked up in the playoffs a lot more after that fiend in the middle of that phoenix series so i think that's like key point i mean i we just expect it it's just one of those things we gotta accept that he's just gonna be up and down all the time so it is what it is <laughs> brendan i know you you talk about jamal five times a week mm -hmm. and it's it's getting hard to to find new sentences about him but he was dancing against lakers Oh, he was. Adam and I did our, you know, we do those bet three, six, five, top fives. And we had top five teams you expect Jamal Murray to play well against. And the Lakers were in our top three. And so like from that, it's, it's, it sounds like a bit, right? But it's, I think it's an actual pers real thing with Jamal and a real perspective we have as Nuggets fans. There are some games he's always going to perform in. Some games you're not so sure about. As far as accepting it, like you guys have, have articulated, It's just what you're accepting. I think it's going to be the thing that keeps the Nuggets from ever winning 65 games. 10 games will, in a row and all that. 10 games in a row. It will keep him from being an all-star. You know, it just will. There are too many good guards. But 
at the end of the day, if he's going to be who he's been when it matters, it's would you trade the guy? No. So it's almost a moot point. Um, but I do understand that he has the second most responsibility on the team, does make a lot of money. And so there's a contained criticism that's vi- that's valid. You know, if, as a fan, you're going, I wish it was more consistent. I wish he was in better shape. I hear you. But at the end of the day, I think we know who he is. And I think it's it's a starting five and a top two that every Nuggets fan would roll with. And and so that's that's just the deal. The one one thing about Jamal I'm curious about, fellas, he's shooting 41% from three right now, which is on track to be slightly a career high, slight dip in volume from the last two seasons, like 0.6 attempts. But I think Jamal looks better as a three-point shooter than ever. And I, I wonder if that's something he can lean into to raise his regular season floor, you know, because I, I think he can take and make more threes than he does. Yeah, he, he did. He did try. What was it? 15 threes several nights ago. Well, yeah, that wasn't great. That wasn't great. But generally speaking, I like uh, I, I like the way he when he and Jokic are running two man game. And if even for a second, it just means Murray's wide open from three. Take the shot. Take the shot. And I think he's doing that right now, and I hope he leans into it. So, Voya, the Lakers are not very good, but they are good enough to win against good teams at home when their motivation is high, and definitely it was high uh, a couple of nights ago. This time around, the Nuggets had the lead from wire to wire, but the L's still found a way uh, to get uh, to a tie game two minutes before the end. What happened then? Well, then went on the Kobe run, 8-0 run at the end. Uh, that hurt them. I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, that three Jamal hit uh, and then the, the floater and the – like that was just a backbreaker because they were up, you know, that, that block that Jackson, Jackson Hayes had against Watson, then Reeves hit that three. You think that building was going to explode. Like they're ready for that win, especially against the Nuggets. And then just like 8-0 run just like that and MPJ hits that three and you're like – and it's that's why I love when when he hits those because like hey we got a Jamal five zero run like okay it's not and now like MPJ hits that swish like you can hear it on the TV like how how hard that like ball went through the net and you're like oh what do you do like it's just, the whole arena just went quiet it was beautiful just I, like the playoffs right just like just, how yeah. all those games went it was close until. Yep. Porter and the Nuggets' best players decided it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. I believe it was actually a 10-0 run because it ended on a it, on a MPJ alley oop. That was awkward too, man. Minutes. Not to like put bad juju out into that. I didn't like that. It didn't look great. <laughs> yeah. Peter, did yeah. you mind the the salt on the wound at the end of the game? No, of course not. I mean, the more you know, angst and pity you can get from Laker fans, the better. <laughs> But uh, I was just going to say in in regards to Jamal, you know, the one thing I love about him so much is he's got to be one of the most confident players in the league. You know, so many guys, if they're having a bad game, they check out. And I'm just not worried about him. Like he could be having a bad game for three quarters and you still trust him to make the right plays in the fourth. And oftentimes he still comes up big in the fourth. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there's been this funny thing going around on social media calling uh, Jamal Murray a good teams merchant. I actually think there's a little bit of truth to it. Cause like you said, there, he, he goes on a run at the end. It's almost like he needs the big moment to lock in and be like, Oh, this is fun. This is like what it's all about. But it's like, some guys just can't get up for like Tuesday night against Charlotte. I'm not saying that's necessarily him, but there has been a pattern. 
Yeah. <laughs> Will, do you think that that crazy run? And I believe it was like only 50 seconds of gameplay. Yeah. I know yeah. run. Like, do you do you think this is repeatable against other opponents in in the playoffs as well? Well, I if it's taking place in clutch time, since the Nuggets are amazing in clutch time, we're number one net rating. Uh, so I always feel confident when it's getting close that we're going to pull it out because we we could just flip that switch. Like, and I mean, I do think some of this is matchup dependent. I mean, the, like Jamal was hunting Torian Prince, and um, so against tougher teams in the playoffs, I don't know that we're going to go on 10 0 runs that quickly. It's probably not going to happen, but with the Lakers, it is because um, they don't have anything to stop Jamal or the Wolves. Uh, agreed. Yeah. 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 But, um yeah plus it's just yeah the wool every the west is tough so um, the thing is sorry that's just that it's funny because yeah. like last year against the wolves that stupid game they lost in the overtime but like they got to overtime by getting on a 12-0 round in a minute that's true that is true <laughs> they have it's it awesome. <laughs> well, well let me ask you one more thing so the nuggets yeah. started just in holiday at the two in that game with kcp being sidelined but the closing lineup for the first time had Peyton Watson at the two. So it was a huge closing lineup. Do you think we saw something special in those final minutes of, of the game? Or was it just, you know, accidental because of the roster situation? I think, it, you know, Peyton Watson's used to playing the two, like, throughout his life. And um, so I'm not surprised that Malone is willing to play him at the position. I think the fact that he closed in a game that was a game where everyone really wanted to win it. I mean, I think we can argue over whether Jokic cares about the Lakers matchup or not. I think he was kind of nonchalant about it, but I think everyone wanted to win that game. And the fact that Peyton was in there and looked like he belonged and that Malone trusted him in those minutes is pretty significant because we only have 30, you know, 29 games left going into the playoffs. So for Peyton to be there, and even against the Kings last night, I mean, he made some mistakes, but him getting those minutes, you know, he's making mistakes, but he's making good plays too. It's only a, a good sign. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete, tell me that obviously the 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 spacing is not as good with Peyton at the two, but do you think the defensive prowess is something that completely can justify playing him at the two, even in the playoffs? you know, in the clutch? Um, if everybody's healthy, I don't see it. Um, but it is a nice tool to go to if if there's some guy that's just going off. You know, I'm thinking uh, last year, you know, Devin Booker went crazy on us in the second round. I wonder if Peyton's good enough defensively to where he could bother somebody like that. You know, maybe if we play the Clippers, maybe he would make sense against the Paul George or something like that. So, I'm really trust him on the defensive end. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much Malone trusts him. He seems like he already trusts him, but uh, for end of games, I mean, probably only if there's an injury or a foul out. Yeah. We'll come back to Peyton because I think it's, it's an interesting story in the second segment. But before that, I just want one more uh, thing to ask Brendan. Um, let me throw you a softball here. Okay. Even though Mike had a great game against Lakers, like, what what is what 28 points on great efficiency how is it possible that mike has the most beautiful shooting form in the world when he hits those contested shots and also 
have the most disgusting misses when he is wide open and has too much time to think about his shot? That's a great question, Miroslav. It is a very great question. I don't know if I have the answer to that. I think Porter might just be such a hooper sometimes. And in joining Denver's system, there's been a lot of thinking. He's just been asked to think a lot about virtually every step he takes. And I think that can lead to some indecision, which can lead to some confidence issues. But I, I, it's kind of like with Jokic with his threes. I don't know if Porter doesn't have any time to think. The muscle memory, the talent, like that thing's going in. Um, and so I, I do think sometimes as he's tried to become a complete player within the four or five things he's really allowed to do in this offense, you can almost see the gears turning of like, do I pump fake this and drive? Do I just let it fly? And so I think there's a, t- a touch of indecision there. Um, but I also think it's kind of coming back. And and I, I, I think a lot of the Porter season can come down to entering the season with a high ankle sprain. He is back up to 40% after last night. And so sometimes with a guy like that too, expectations are really the explanation for a dynamic that feels worse than it is. Well, you are a shooter. Do, do you have anything to add? Well, I, I was going to say what, you, what, what, what I was going to pick back on what Vote said about um, overthinking because they have to basically deconstruct him as a player and his tendencies to build him back up. Right, because that was that. I mean, they're still doing the jokes. Like, I feel like a lot of narratives around the Nuggets are like a year or two old. Like about everything, you know, Jokic is still, you know, maybe the best pass, best best passing big, and you know, all that kind of stuff. With with Porter is like, oh, he never passes. He shoots whenever like he catches the ball, and it's like, if you watch, it's not really true. For that that was true maybe like a couple of years ago, but like around when Jamal got hurt, and he was basically just like, okay, you go back to what you did in high school, college, and that's the. That's, I think, what, what was happening. Some of these open shots, when they're too open, that's that thinking of, like, oh, should I maybe drive on this? Like, because I'm this open? And that Lakers Lakers shot at the end and that in the playoffs is, okay, this is a shot I'm, like, 100% taking. Like, there was the play yep. was built around the pick and roll, and if they overhelp what they did, I'm just supposed to shoot. So there's no thinking. Just catch it and go. And you can see even, like, a little bit of, like, how the, how the ball pops from his hand in those situations and, and it's and in situations when he's like, maybe I shouldn't shoot this. Maybe and you know, that indecision I think can, can affect it. It's like, which is, again, it's kind of one of those, like we, we tend to look at a lot of the times of like, Oh, they're paid that much. They're professional basketball players. Like they shouldn't, that stuff shouldn't be there because we're trying to play the video game from the couch. Like, Oh, why is he not making an open shot when he's supposed to be an elite shooter? But a lot of these like psychological things, I think st- still occur. And again, the high ankle sprint with his like high release also can affect it too. Like he has to jump off of that foot. That might help, you know, that might hinder him. And then now he's back to like getting healthy. And it's, it's, I mean, again, like with him, you see it yesterday and some of these things with spacing. That's why I love the Nuggets and watch the Nuggets because they're really such an interesting ecosystem. And you pull a guy out, like one person out. And it's not the KCP. KCP is a first team all defense. Everyone call, you know, want to call him like, if you take him out, it's not that everyone else sucks that he's so good. It's just that that fits so well in the five, you know, five man lineups. That like it disbalances the like the spacing on the floor on offense and on defense as well. And, and so putting Peyton in the two also like affects how other people play defense against the Nuggets. So just like it's a, I love. I mean, overall, that's why I enjoy like still watching the Nuggets. And as far as Peyton on the two, I mean, what six seven from guard up. 
<laughs> like from the shooting guard up is like an insane lineup for defense. I don't know. Yeah, that, that would that's be like a cool thing. To that see sounds like a, like a 2009 team Serbia. Yeah. Uh, that was the size <laughs> of that team. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, we went uh, a bit long on this first segment, but I did it on purpose because I want to make a short second segment when we talk about the Sacramento game. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> okay, let's get the Sacramento game out of the way. Voya, I've seen your tweet saying this was the definition of a schedule loss. Yeah. Please expand on it. I mean... Uh... It's, again, back-to-back, and it's not only a back-to-back. It was a back-to-back away, so, like, they had to go from L.A., pack up, go to the airport or whatever they're doing to Sacramento. Like, I don't know if they're taking a bus. I assume not. But you, you, you arrive, like, middle of the night. You're supposed to sleep, rest, and then get into your cycle. I think that's, you know, everyone. That's not just, like, a Nuggets thing. Like, I, that's, like, a schedule loss thing for everyone. And, I'll, and then add on top of the fact that it's Lakers and Kobe night kind of added a little bit of more like emotional oomph in that game than when the when they won that it kind of maybe like drained him you know then they arrested a couple of guys and it was just like a i think it was just like a schedule loss they didn't want to treat it that way until they still played it which was cool but overall i think it was just they kind of ran out of gas yeah will are these blowout losses in the regular season annoying to you <laughs> I mean, they're definitely annoying since I want the Nuggets to win every game. But um, I don't think it's like out of character, even with last season, like the amount of 20 point losses that we were having. And uh, I always say in the regular season, the Nuggets are trading in these amazing wins. We're winning them in the clutch with some 20 point bad loss to some team. And they're just not taking it as seriously, unfortunately. But on top of that, on top of the letdown for the Lakers game, on top of the back-to-back, the Kings were banging us around. Like, Jokic was getting fouled. They were playing aggressive. They were running off uh, double ball screens, like, all night, and Sabonis was setting screens. Like, it was a physical game to play on a back-to-back. So it just got out of hand really quickly with what they were doing with screening and getting open shots and, you know, us not covering it properly, even Christian Brown. uh wasn't switching like with Jamal a little bit out of sync. So things just got out of hand so fast, especially with shooting in the NBA and the Kings like having the best shooting night of the whole season so far. So yeah, it's pretty much what I chalk it up to. So Pete, what is easier to digest a 30 point loss? You stop watching at the end of the third quarter or, you know, uh, uh, a tough loss by two points in the, in the last seconds. Oh, definitely the 30-point loss is, is easier because you don't rethink the game about like, oh, if we would have just made this play, we would have won. Like, no, you got run out of the gym. I mean, I'm going to make a poor analogy real quick. So back-to-backs in the NBA are kind of like, if, you, if you're excited on a Friday night to go out with your friends and then you go out and you party real hard, you hit a bunch of different clubs and you have an epic night and then everybody feels like they won. And then the next day, you know, you, you're hung over and you're kind of like dragging. And then one of your friends hits you up who you haven't heard from in a while. And they're like, Hey, I'm in town. You want to go out? And it's like, your body's telling, you no, but you really don't want to let them down. So you go out anyway. It's a great you know, analogy on, on, actually on Saturday. And you're like, yeah, I, I'm going to make it work. And then you're just dragging all night. You can't keep up. They're like, what's wrong, man. You got no energy. And that's just like how back-to-backs go in the NBA, in my opinion. I put zero stock in them. If you win them, it's great. It's a bonus, but you don't have to do it in the playoffs. So I, I just forget about them and move on. 
Pete, it's more than an analogy. It might literally be what's happening on the yeah. back-to-backs as well. So yeah. I think you're on. I think you're on to something. Uh, so B dog, would you rest MPJ in the <laughs> remaining two games before B-Dog. the All Star weekend? Um, I, I don't know if I would rest in both. First of all, I don't know entirely if that was rest. I mean, he was on the injury report. Um, and he hasn't missed a game all year. And Jamal and Yoke were playing. Like, they probably could have just listed it as rest, right? Or, or, I mean, soreness. They got pretty specific on the injury report. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that develops. Um, well, after, I don't the know Philly, he... after the Philly, they don't want to get fined yeah. now with the, with the right. magnifying glass on them. You're starting to understand why hockey just says lower body injury. Stop asking. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. But I... I don't know if I'd rest him heading into heading into the break. I just want the break to serve as the rest. A week off for him to not necessarily be, you know, playing defense and crashing for boards. And uh, obviously, he's going to still be shooting in a gym somewhere. That's what Mike does. But take it easy, right? Because I do think he gave a lot to this team, and I think it's a very admirable goal to want to play as much as he has. Is it the wisest course, though, in terms of getting the best out of Mike and making sure you get the best out of him at the end of the year? I think I've hit the point where, you know, I'd like to see him get a little rest and, and hopefully the break serves as that. Pete, if there's one storyline that stands out the most this season is the rise of, of Peyton Watson. Do you think the hype might be a bit out of hand? I mean, he's probably the best guy of the bench this season, which was unexpected, but also not a super high bar. Hmm. Well, I guess it all depends on your expectations because I think a lot of people expected a a big jump from Christian Brown this year, and we haven't really seen it. Um, You know, Peyton didn't really play last year. So to me, it's kind of like he's he's had a pretty solid progression from going from not playing to being like, you know, good every other game. So I'm happy with what I've seen, but I don't expect him to be a superstar or anything. I mean, he might be, but, you know, it. I've talked about it before. It all just comes down to opportunity. And I think he's, he's doing a really smart thing by he's just trying to do what the coaches tell him and, and play his role and, and be as good as he can at that. And if he does that really well, consistently, maybe they'll, they'll give him more touches, but the nuggets, you know, core is, is, is kind of already set. So I know uh, my friend Ray has talked about him, like taking over for Gordon one day, but that's, that's a long ways away. He's got a long ways to go as a player still. <laughs> Boya, where, where do you see, Peyton sliding in at the moment. Well, where he is right now, I mean, at the bench. But the thing is that that that's a double-edged sword. With we mentioned Christian Brown, is like that's what you kind of get when you pick some of these guys from college that have been in college for that long. He's like you pick him because he knows what he's doing and what he did in the playoffs. The other end of that is he is probably not going to have an up upscale like uptick in every sense of the production like Peyton Watson, because Peyton Watson came from very talented, not much of basically what they were, why they call that like a raw talent. And with Christian Brown, he's already kind of polished. And I didn't, I don't know. I mean, I didn't expect personally from him too much of this season. I just expected what I see, what I saw basically this year, maybe, maybe he had some injuries that defensively he's, he's had to like, he can't do as he did last year, right during the regular season with Watson. It's like, if he's what he is and, and like a little bit more, you know, gets more mature, like mentally over the years or over the, like this year and the next year, that's perfect. Honestly, for this squad, that's your Bruce Brown type 
And then the good thing again with the starting lineup and with MPJ being what he is, is they they don't have a problem of sitting. So if there is a situation where MPJ, what happened this year a few times, like, okay, Watson is the defender when he defends. We're, we have enough offense with Jamal and Jokic pick and roll. We need defense around him. So, like, okay, Watson's going to slide in. So if he's that, like, again, like Bruce was last year, I'm fine with that because I wasn't particularly high on him. So my expectations aren't, like, all NBA, you know, so. Yeah, we are still talking about the Sacramento game. Look at these questions. I'm just yeah. trying to, to, to get away from it. So, Brendan, uh, what do you think about about KCP signing with 361? Uh, great sign, right? Shoe deal, shoe deal together with Aaron and Nicola. I honestly think it's a great sign. I mean, it's easy to read too much into these things, and you know. But as far as a looming option and potential split goes on the horizon, him linking up with AG and Jokic to shoe company is a great sign, man. Um, I I don't think KCP wants to leave Denver. You know, business decisions will be made as they always are. But I I, I, re- I strongly get the sense he's not quite as expressive as Aaron Gordon and he has succeeded in other environments. But I strongly get the sense that KCP is actively grateful to be in the situation he's in. Um, I think he gets to play to his, his skills set. I don't think he has to deal with the drama of maybe a LeBron-led team. And he gets to just be himself out here on and off the court. So... I think this is a great sign. Obviously, it it's not a confirmation of anything. But yeah, I think there that tells you something about their relationships on this team and relationships can be what keep a group together even if business would would suggest maybe there are other decisions to be made. He's appreciating yeah. here too. Yeah. Um I, I have these dumb thoughts and I I have to get it uh, get them out of my head. So why not here? Why not with a microphone? Why, why not? Why not in front yeah. of the whole internet? So <laughs> why do we call Aaron Gordon AG and we don't call Nikola Jokic NJ? Does anybody have an idea? Yeah. <laughs> Just doesn't work, bro. You know it when you hear it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's clunky. It's just it's just the the music then. Okay, that's enough uh, for this segment. And when we come back. We're going to talk about trades, trades, trades. Don't go anywhere. Okay, third segment. Let's start with an overarching impression of this trade deadline before we get into details. We've seen a total of only three first-round picks moved, if I'm not mistaken. Pete, This is obviously the result of the new CBA rules that will make picks more valuable than ever, especially for the contending contending teams not trying to fill out the roster with 10 minimum guys like some NBA teams from Arizona did. I don't want to uh, to name any names. Uh, Was Calvin Booth reading the room better than anyone else last summer when he signed two second-rounders, two three-plus-one deals? I mean, I wasn't a fan of it personally. I think he should have kept, you know, tried to get one more veteran if you could or keep the roster spot open in case you get a buyout. I mean, I don't know what the plan is on the buyout market if if there's anybody that they've got their eye on. Um, But I just just thought it – I didn't hate the draft picks. I just thought it was strange to give them, like, four-year guaranteed contracts because – now the only way you get out of it is is to like buy them out and you know say you eat it and historically that's not really something the Nuggets do so 
they're kind of stuck with two guys that aren't going to contribute this year. Um, I think they think that they have enough just with the current group and are going to try to roll with that. That's what it looks like, at least. Yeah, last year the Nuggets won a championship, and I was angry because not all 15 guys were counted on. And it's the same situation this time around. I mean, they, they actually have 18 guys if you count the three three guys on a on two-way contract. Will, d- did you mind uh, that move back at the time where did it happen? And did, this, uh, um, did your perspective change since when you saw the results of the trade deadline? I think I was I was thinking along the lines of what Pete just said um, where I wasn't really sure what Calvin was thinking but I still trust him so I'm like willing to give him the benefit of the doubt but with the trade deadline what I definitely think is since the first rounders are all monopolized at this point um, and we saw a bunch of teams wanting like two or three second round picks because they're not being valued super high. So you need a high number of them. So accumulate, accumulating them is not going to necessarily be a bad thing. Um, like, because we saw like with the Sixers, they needed to flip Pat Bev just to get second round picks to get Buddy healed. So um, I'm not against it. I don't, I, and I'm almost banking on Calvin Booth pulling off a miracle with some, late draft picks again since i think we're going to be in that position uh going forward as we're contending i mean what does he know he he brought uh deandre jordan on a team that was the worst move ever right <laughs> <laughs> pretty much uh i don't know i mean, I, I mean I, sometimes i think he's kind of drinking his own kool-aid right now with 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 that summer uh and like, especially, I mean, after like, I didn't wasn't a fan of that interview either. And it's like, it just sounded like that. Like, I'm smarter than you. So I'll show you with the deals because Memphis didn't sign Vince Williams till middle of the season or Gigi Jackson. Like they tested it out. And now they have really good guys like on a three, three or four year deals from a two way. So that like, I think there's even a cap. I don't think they even could have signed him for more, even though they're like for Memphis, they might actually be like really good rotation pieces next year. Uh, and they're young and, and quality guys. Like with the, with the Tyson and Jalen, is like I don't know what the end goal is. I guess you sign it maybe for like trade chips, but like they're all, they're in the G League. They're not really gonna have much room to show anything in the regular rotation with how the how the Nuggets are structured. And it's just that's like that that was the weird part is like there's that flexibility is gone because who knows maybe Tyson is something we can be kind of like instead of Laco next year, but you know, we don't know. And he doesn't know either. I mean, it's just like a, it's like a leap of faith of like, hey, we take care of our guys kind of thing that Conley started. So we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it, it is honestly like how the Nuggets are sort of like lay, laid out right now, like with the eight players they have for playoffs. It's like knock on wood if some, you know, hopefully no one gets hurt because otherwise it's it could be like disastrous. Like won't you take away one piece from any, you know, from that eight minute rotation and it could be really bad because who's waiting in the wings kind of is, is just tricky there. Yeah. So, so Brendan, do you think it's it's possible for the Nuggets to cut somebody and and acquire a, a roster spot to uh, to sign somebody in buyout? I just don't. Or know do you think gonna, that that's left? I don't know if they're going to do it. Right. I mean, like last year, there was an attempt to to like. Well, it's he's it's great to have Reggie Jackson on the roster now, but the buyout didn't help much last year. Mm-hmm. Um, the trade for Thomas Bryant didn't help a ton. So I don't. I just don't know if if Calvin is 
keyed in on these band-aid fixes. And I think that's kind of the way I've, I've come to understand his approach. Whether I agree with every decision in a vacuum or not, the two timelines thing, right, in direct juxtaposition with Golden State, the respective sets of timelines are different. Like yeah. Denver isn't – Golden State was at the fan the embers of a dynasty and let's keep it alive, right? Uh, let's not waste Steph's end of his peak. So there's a strong argument about – does a GM prepare for the future or does he have a responsibility to go and get Steph one more? I think Jokic is, is just, he's young enough for Calvin to, his decisions are about, I'm attempting to expand the runway. I don't want to get into the end of a dynasty band-aid fix thing. Um, and so there's a lot to that, I think, uh, but he's got to get the draft picks right. Mm-hmm. He's got to get the draft picks right. And so it's not a foolproof approach. I just understand and I will say what, what Voya said about the depth, I think was also true of last year, man. I, yeah, it was, yeah. I think depth is much more of a regular season asset, honestly. I think when you get to the playoffs. No, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, but that's what I'm saying is like that's the issue now is like how many – like we had last year it was like one half and a quarter of two is a Toronto game and a Memphis game that AG played on the at the five. We're halfway through the season and it's already happened like three or four times. That he played on the, that AG had to play on the at the five because we didn't just have anyone in the back. So like last year, right, right, right. you had this roster plus Bruce and, and Jeff and Vlaco was was healthy. So that stretch in the middle when when Zeke actually looked like oh he deserves an extension and Vlaco was was locking down Shea and all that stuff. That's where the Nuggets were the best because we were talking about it's the regular season asset when you have that little of the of depth in the eight nine eight to ten range of players is when they started rolling and then they could be healthy for the playoffs completely. Now it's like you have eight guys and it's always the eight and you have to get to seven if Christian Brown like just is somewhere else in that game. And that's what's like for me, that's what's tricky with having two guys in the G League that you, they're on a contract because then that depth is non-existent. So by the time you get to playoffs, you might, and especially with the how bunched up the West is, you might have to fight all the way. Uh, to beginning of the playoffs to get the seating. You couldn't take off like two weeks like they did last year. So that's what I'm saying. Those are the little things. So mm-hmm. we, we might not see a 16-4 to four run mm-hmm. in the playoffs. So we might you know see a little bit, you know, six losses. I don't know. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> Mayor, can I ask one more thing? Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't remember the exact timeline of events, but I think the Vlaco injury happened after Booth signed the two second round picks. Yeah, so yeah. that's just kind of bad luck that yeah, you know, yeah. he couldn't foresee. And that's turning out to be, I think a much bigger injury than gets credit for because he was, even though he didn't play in the playoffs last year, he was good in the regular season. I thought, and it looked like he was, you know, sort of primed to take over the Jeff green minutes. Yep. And, you know, I don't want to make too many excuses for Zeke, but I really feel like the Vlaco injury is like an injury and a half because yep. they played together a lot. So, you know, Vlaco's not a true five, but together it's like enough size and enough rebounding that, that they kind of worked. So without having Vlaco, it's just like you can't play Zeke and DJ together. And then just Zeke at five is kind of small, hasn't worked. So I feel bad for Zeke because he he's such a like narrow skill set player that it kind of has to be perfect for him and it just isn't this year. So I call me crazy. I still haven't completely given up on him, but uh, it's just the Nuggets really miss Vlaco, man. I hope that they can still have enough to get it done this year. 
So am I tripping yeah. or are there better guys this year that is probably going to show on the buyout market than the previous seasons? Maybe it also has something to do with the CBA. But Spencer's DVD, I, I was I was joking about him on the Lakers, but he's a good player and he's only 30. Not this year, so, yeah, he, he's had a bad season. I it's a Reggie, that. it's a Reggie thing. Like Reggie was like a, a sounding name last year because of the year before. But last year Reggie was not good on the Clippers. I mean, there was a reason why they just wanted to get rid of him and get Westbrook in. And coming in and Ren is right. I mean, buyouts and, and trades in the middle of the season rarely work out to a point like the Lakers did last year, but they kind of overhauled, like they were so in the negative that they only could go, go up. And Pete, you're right. I mean, my, my claim for Zeke is that like the Vlaco thing, it's, it's also basically Vlaco Jeff, that combo of like switchable guys. Yeah. Uh, they can pass. Like Jeff is obviously not when it was with Vlaco, it was like the best, it was the most optimized. And you're so you're right. I think it is an injury and a half because Zeke is not a five. And Vlaco is not a five, but together enough with that switching, Vlaco is disciplined, a rebounder and a defender. So I think together, like, and now, I mean, adding Watson and Brown to that, it would have been a really interesting second unit. They would have had a lot of transition options. And Vlaco's that connector, like the baby Jokic, basically, in that lineup. So I think that is true. I mean, that's, it's just, which would, but I, it's still Vlaco, the only reason he didn't play in the playoffs because he had that good run and got hurt. So Jeff had to step in, and then and it was late to like get back to Vlaco minutes because it was so close to the playoffs. So it just kind of, I mean, that's what you get. That's the nine to, to eleven, eight to, eight to eleven players. This is what you got to deal with. I mean, it is what it is. Boy, we used to disagree so much more. What happened? I don't know, man. <laughs> Will, I'm curious what you think of this. Here was is what I think is the real true trade off of Booth kind of like banking on youth over going for vets. Peyton Watson has a lot of talent and has had some big impact off the bench the way Bruce Brown did. But Bruce Brown was also a veteran. And like the cluster fouls and turnovers we saw from Peyton last night, capability-wise, he can be that guy off the bench in the postseason. Are you going to run into some nights where you're like, oh, man, we did not get what we needed from Peyton? Because um, to me, that's the trade-off. Like you have a chance to come in next year better than you would have with vets if Peyton works out. But there is a little bit of like, okay, we're asking a young guy to deliver in a vet role in the postseason. Yep. Yeah. And that's where it goes back to like expectations with the fans. Like, I think we haven't seen Piwa in the playoffs yet. Um, I trust that he's consistently going to be a good defender. Um, I think defense or opposing offenses are probably going to exploit. or sorry, uh, opposing defenses are going to exploit how they're guarding P. Watt since he's not going to be a huge threat, but he's still going to have plays where that are like eye popping. And um, but I mean, this is just the reality of where the Nuggets are. Like we have to play him. Uh, I think like our future looks bright with him, but in, in terms of com- uh, contending year to year, I don't know that it's going to be as reliable as having Bruce if we had him right here. So um, it's just something we're going to have to live with, but it's exciting for, you know, it's like, I mean, Booth has spoken on this, that he wants to uh, contend and maybe win a couple titles, you know, spread out, but you know, we're not going to maybe like three Pete. So that may disappoint some fans because we want to win every year. We don't want to waste any year of Jokic, but um, with just how the reality is where we have to build through the draft and we're not going to be signing big 
uh, free agents are, are making big trades every year. Um, uh, this is the new NBA. So, I, I believe it's been almost 49 minutes of this show, and I don't, I don't think we've mentioned Jokic, Jokic playing at well, all. Well, why would we? What, what a... <laughs> like, that's our no, tradition, though. That's, like, the, that's the Serbian <laughs> tradition. It's just like, yeah, he's there. He's got a triple double. It's fine. <laughs> let's talk about That's the cool. 11th player on the roster <laughs> okay let's let's take a last uh, short break and then we'll come back with uh, some actual trades to talk about don't go anywhere okay presentation time nba trades at the deadline yay so <laughs> let's let's start with the first one and just give me your quick uh, hits on it so in the first trade we saw Minnesota getting Monte Morris. I don't care what Detroit got back. It's not the theme of this show. So, uh, Will, do you think Monte is going to be a good fit on this team? And how much do you think he's going to play there? I think he's going to be a good fit. I mean, he's like mini Mike Connolly. So, I think he... Is going to give them good minutes. The only thing I'm worried about with him is that he hasn't been playing much this season. So I don't know how in shape he is or not. So uh, we'll see how that is uh, defensively. As much as I love Monte, there's questions. Um, but uh, Minnesota has really good defense and are able to cover up on that. And I'm more worried about their offense. So if Monte is going to go in there and give what he gives and that we know he can give, then I, it's hard to argue it's not a good pickup. Uh, vote. I I saw some some uh, comments on some national podcasts saying that uh, bringing in Monte instead of some uh, more shiny point guard name at the deadline shows that Minnesota is not super serious uh, about this season. What do you think about that? Ah. Uh... I mean, I, don't, I think that's a little silly. Who was the shiny point guard pickup? That Taj Jones. Taj Jones. Yeah. Like, all right. Like how much better do they think he is? I, I mean, listen, healthier, those are, that's the only thing. Right. Those now. are two versions of a similar player. I think Ty Jones is probably a better version of Monte. Um, but you start thinking about what it takes to get him. I don't. I wasn't on on the phone for what those deals looked like, and then also that Tim has a relationship with Monte. Uh, this makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, I don't think you you change how you view the Wolves if you're anyone, but they needed some stability in the in the half court offense. They needed a backup point guard. And I think if you put Monte around winning players, he's a winning player. So it, I don't think they won the trade deadline with this move, but I got why Tim did it. I got why Tim did it for sure. Boy, you are a dedicated Monte yeah, guys. So they won my heart. Good. That's what they won in the trade. Uh, <laughs> first of all, well, they gave up nothing. That's the point. It's like they, yeah. they didn't really have to give up a piece that's already in their rotation to add a guy. So what happens with them is like they have a Conley is an, an adult in that lineup. He's still... He's still the, the the most like mature player of all the wolves. Like you can Edwards fine. I mean Katz is like the seventh most mature player on that team or something, you know. Uh so bring in Monte again, you have a little bit of like with two of them with him and Conley that you have like a complete, I guess, like player, you know, the point guard rotation. First, obviously he's a really you know, we know the sister turnover ratio, all that stuff. Against with with Gobert, he could be a really good pick and roll partner. And again, that it's it's the winning player winning culture like it, it's the it was it was it was really like making you know it's like a 
no-brainer trade for for especially for Conley that he loves his guys. And he saw that's the thing is too is like it's not that he also traded for his guy that he got. He saw what Monta was doing in those two years when Jamal was hurt. Like if 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 he if you can win a series against Damian Lillard and you be fine, you know, not fine on defense, but like you'd be like you can win a series with uh, with Montez, your point guard, in, in some you know against like the Portland team that was fully healthy, he can be fine off the fifteen minutes, twenty minutes off the bench. So I think that was like a no brainer move for them. Again, another adult, uh, they can split minutes with Conley. You know, obviously, he has to play himself into shape. Uh, that's the that's the biggest thing with him. Like if he was Monte from twenty one, it would be like it'd be a great pickup for them. It's just right now he's not that. Like he's been hurt. Uh, so he's going to be able to be like 10 minutes a game, probably at first 15, and then maybe like he can get to 22 during the regular season. And then again, in the playoffs, you're looking at 17 minutes maybe for him. And because again, Conley can, can get like 40 anymore too. Like he had 40 minutes. So you have to split him up between the two of them. So uh, Pete, uh, strictly talking about their matchup against the Nuggets, do you think they got better with uh, getting Monte? Yeah, for sure. I mean, personally, I hate it. You know, now I have to root against Monte. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, he, he's definitely better than Jake Milton and uh, Jordan McLaughlin. So it's it makes them better. And like, you know, Voya said, another adult, he just he just makes the right play over and over again, you know. And that's honestly a lot of what that team needs. They didn't necessarily need more, more firepower. And, you know, as we've seen with Monte, like he's pretty good at playing on or off ball. And the, the Timberwolves are so big. You know, if you have a lineup with him and Ant in the backcourt, like you can you can get by with that um, defensively. Just stick Monte on the worst other guard, and then you know Monte could space in the corner if if they want Ant running more stuff. Um, I think what's interesting about this deal that we can't completely overlook is a lot has been made about how expensive the Timberwolves are going to be next year. If they decide not to make any big trades, if they just can't afford to keep Conley. I could see them bringing back Monte just to sort of be the, you know, the point guard is like a placeholder until they figure out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Is until they figure out like what they're going to do there. Cause I think, I think the hope is like they kind of want Ant to like eventually be good enough to run the, the offense, like most of the time. And then you can just kind of fill in with more length and defense around him and, and really build a championship team. But you know, any team would love to have a, a, a smart point guard like Monte Morris because it's kind of a dying breed in the NBA, honestly. Okay, let's let's move on to the next trade because I don't want to keep people for 90 minutes to, together with us today. So the other team that's on the top of the Western Conference, Oklahoma City Thunder, got Gordon Hayward and had to give up my guys, Davis Bertans and Vasily Micic, but more on them on some other time. Will is is Oklahoma better with with Gordon Hayward now, or is it just uh, strictly, yeah. strictly depending on his health? Well, I mean, health is the biggest question with him for sure. Uh, so, but if he is healthy, I mean, he's a smart player. He makes really good reads. He can distribute. Um, he's just like a you know savvy veteran. And these this is a team of young guys. So adding that is going to be pretty valuable. They have an MVP level player, which we know is important if you want to make a deep run. Um, I was definitely more skeptical of OKC with the lack of experience before this trade. So, I, I mean, I, I think it's a good trade for him. I hate to say it, but um, 
yeah, if he's not healthy, then that's a risk they were willing to take, I guess. Brandon, specifically against the Nuggets, do, do you think Gordon brings a lot on the table? Um, I mean, I just think he would help them in any matchup. I think it's just scoring off the bench and a guy who can make a couple of big plays and has, what has he played in, like 30 playoff games? It's not, he's not, I mean, he's not LeBron James, but he's been there. Uh, yeah, so it's not, <laughs> you know, he has been in those games, but it's not exactly, I don't know if they could have fixed their inexperience at the trade deadline. Like their best three players are inexperienced and they shouldn't trade them. So it's just, that's something they're just going to have to go through. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think getting a big, which they got Bismack Biombo. Sorry, fellas, not to be rude, not too moved. Um, I think getting a, a, a big would have maybe changed that matchup more. But I will say the Thunder were my winners at the trade deadline. Uh, just because I think they're the, it's not, I don't know if they made the single best move, but they're the best team that got better for sure in the West. Uh, my winners out West. The Knicks are my winners out East. Um, and so I, you know, like it's, it's thunder. Everyone was like, do they need to make a big move? Do they need to stay pat? And they're like, how about we just add a talented player for very cheap and uh, we'll make a run at it and see what happens. And I thought that was, I thought that was wise. So Voyad, are you uh, more afraid of the, of the OKC now, or are they in the same tier for you before the playoffs? I mean, I think it's the same, same tier. I don't really trust Gordon Hayward doing anything. The other thing is with, the tri- tricky thing with that inexperience argument is is also getting the right experienced player in that situation, and I wonder. You know, I, I don't. I mean, obviously, don't know. You know, we don't know Gordon Hayward personally and all that. But like, I wonder how he's gonna go into that locker room. Like, cause he's is he is he gonna think himself like he was brought in as a savior? You know, like to get him over the hump, or is it gonna be explained to him like, hey, you're just a patch any holes and matchups we need because again we're not you're not gonna play over Jalen Williams or you know get more shots than Chad Holmgren you know that which again he might expect he might not uh so like that's that's the one question like from that perspective playing wise like you know the, the just the X's and O's and and on the core like how you you would think like they obviously got better like it didn't really lose much I mean Vasa was like on maybe on the verge of maybe breaking through to some of the experience you know getting experience in the backup role but what i said for mitic in the beginning of the season is like they have case wallace and he plays defense and what Voss offers they really have a lot of it in giddy uh and so there was really kind of a redundant piece there which they turned into something they might need with gordon hayward so definitely a good move and i agree with brendan they got bet you know the, the west team they got better at the at the deadline like uh from what they were before uh, Pete, Gordon Hayward is an expiring contract, so he's gonna want to play in in OKC. Do you see it becoming a problem if he just doesn't play as much as he wants? I would be surprised if they traded for him to not play him. I mean, hmm. he'll probably come off the bench, but they they I gotta I gotta think that they'll find minutes for him. Well, yeah, they'll slot him probably in the, the Vasa, Vasa had how many minutes. They'll slot him in there, probably reduce some of the – may try to reduce maybe some of the main guys so they don't, like, wear and tear him. And also, like, for, as far as the contract, Miro, like, Brendan knows 
who who Gordon Hayward's agent is, he's gonna be fine. <laughs> Mark Mark's gonna Mark's gonna handle another twenty million somewhere. He's like, hey fellas, you thought he was done? Playoff run on a contender, fourteen a game off the bench. Let's talk. I, I need I need to check if he he's also the agent for for Doc Rivers because man, that guy has has a good. Good well, and as well. If Giddy is struggling, I could see them, you know, yeah. benching Giddy down the stretch and, and playing yeah. Hayward in the crunch time lineup. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't leave Gordon open. That's the, yeah, that's the good things like with, with Giddy, if he's not making shots, if you're, because that's where, like, if you're playing Denver, for example, in a playoff series, you could see, like, oh, you put Jokic on Giddy and, and so, like, he can't shoot. So maybe we have him roaming and then Giddy has a burden of actually getting involved in plays. And not just sitting in the corner with Gordon Hayward. If you have him sitting in the corner, you can't sag off of him as much as you would with Giddy. So completely, yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's let's move to the next couple of trades, both by Dallas Mavericks. So they got PJ Washington from Charlotte, and they also got uh, got Daniel Gafford from Washington. Uh, Will. Do you think these these signings are gonna make Mavericks considerably better for the playoffs? I think they definitely got better, but these aren't like moves that are gonna make you a contender all of a sudden. Um, I mean, it addresses a need, but they're in the eighth seed, so they're looking at a really tough first round unless they start going on a run. Um, but I mean, they, they definitely address important uh, weaknesses in the front court. And uh, PJ, though, he's kind of, I mean, he's a little bit unknown, I think, among most fans, but his shooting has kind of been going down a bit. But they're going to be relying on him with, you know, rebounding defense, those types of things. And I'm just going to have to see it, I think. Um, but uh, good moves on the basketball court. I don't know how good it is down the line building with Luca and giving away all these first round picks they they don't have many options at this point so there's in- interesting questions uh with the Mavericks going forward uh-huh. Brendan okay so PJ Washington is a good player but Daniel Gafford is he going to be better for them than than Derek Lively well, he's not going to be better than Derek Lively. I mean, I do think it helps to add a big that can roll and score a little bit. And that's something Luca likes and has. Um, but I also think he's a guy like we're spoiled. So maybe this is the wrong prism to view everything through. But Gaffer guarding Jokic, you know, um, yeah. thanks for the 15 points. You know, it's not like that. So it's not so that. Yeah, I don't know about the Daniel Gaffer part. PJ Washington's good. It is interesting how we started talking about how very few first round picks moved and you go, man, the first round pick move for PJ Washington. Is that a lot? You know what I think it is? It's a, maybe like we got to try to save our jobs move, you yeah. know, cause oh, you yeah. can't miss, we're going to miss the, can't go into the playing tournament again with Luca. <laughs> I mean, you got to make yeah. some kind of a run. Um, so it might be guys who might not be worried about how it looks in three or four years. Well, on- also, cause isn't it Luca like 26 might be his summer to leave. 
So see, like twenty seven pick, s- like you gotta yeah, you gotta save your job basically. Gotta well, try to convince him. Gotta try quick, to convince quick live update on that. Gafford in his in his fashion, seventeen minutes, nineteen points, nine rebounds, seven of eleven from the field with Luka. Hell yeah. So Hell like, yeah. and PJ Washington is like ten points of the bench, twenty minutes, like one oh four for three, which is again kinda on par. But Gafford <laughs> Gafford the, the joke always wasn't the joke always with him, he's just out of shape all the time. That he can't go more than fifteen, which again, if he does and lively gets your load of like you know 25 to 30 minutes if you get gafford to like go off the bench and just roll with luca for like 15 minutes and score 12 points like that's maybe all you need kind of from him so so pete uh, dallas especially their fans hated rishon holmes and grant williams is this addition by subtraction for them yeah, I was gonna say um, I'm actually much higher on PJ Washington than all you guys. I think he's he's a really good player, and it's it's really hard to judge anybody who's been on the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> it's just that a team has just been such a disaster, and it's like I don't think he's amazing or anything, but Grant Williams was absolutely terrible for them this year. So if he just comes in and is who he was, it's a significant upgrade just because the last guy was so terrible. So. It's another guy that I think, you know, the other thing you can't underestimate is like the situation, right? He's going from a team that's going nowhere to a team that has a chance. So he's going to be re-energized um, and he's going to have so much more space to operate with Luca. You know, Luca just, he finds so many guys, easy buckets. And then, you know, they've got Kyrie, they've got the playmaking. Uh, Hardaway's having a good year. I think, I think Dallas got significantly better, you know, them and OKC were the only teams that really improved, but you know, I, I hate to say it, but I think Dallas is live now to win to win a round or two. Okay, last slide for today. It's a, a big three-way uh, trade. So Phoenix Suns got Royce O'Neal and big body David Roddy. And I don't care. Brooklyn got Keita Bates-Diop. Yeah, and, and Memphis got Yuta Watanabe and Chimezu Metu. Well, I thought so... Metu and Watanabe are going to win the title. <laughs> Yeah, le- legends, legends. <laughs> what a Phoenix. boring trade! I mean, look at the boringness. But look, look at the names though. Like all the Suns players that left. Remember how many times we, like we've seen those like the tweets on just like the man, the depth, what signings in the off season. Like that's why you get the deal. Yeah, like you can sign these off the waiver, and it's like no, you they they they're there for a reason. Yeah, the the only guy that's still left on the on the Suns is Ball Ball. Out of the the you know <laughs> elite five year, they yeah. got they got for minimum deals last last summer, but is Royce O'Neal somebody that's gonna help significantly this Phoenix roster? Let's start, mm-hmm. start with Will. Uh, he's, I mean, he I think he can play decent defense. I mean, he's not gonna be a huge needle mover for them. He's like a better Josh Akogi. So even then, it's like now with these Suns. You know, propping up these dudes, getting Royce O'Neal's even like kind of an indictment on Okogi a little bit. Uh, yeah. But I don't know. The Suns are weird. I just think it's going to be better for basketball if they don't win. That's pretty <laughs> much one of the worst owners. I'm uh, sorry. One of the worst owners <laughs> we've had. Like, just he just showed up, like, did all this. This is literally like he's on Twitter and like, oh, Royce O'Neal, like, he can. Like no, Royce O'Neal was done in the bubble. Like that when he traveled in that clutch possession against the Nuggets, like that's that was his that was his 
bye-bye to the actual minutes that it can bring to the NBA. Maybe I'm just, like, too harsh and arrogant from the title, but, like, if Royce O'Neal is going to save the Suns' season, like, I don't know. I mean, good for them, but they got bigger problems than – I mean, again, you said it. Like, what we have Josh Okogie. Like, what's a Royce O'Neal going to bring you more than more than, more than Okogie wouldn't? Like, I mean, he's – I don't know. It just sounds they're just I, – I love that they're, they're horrible and HBS sucks. <laughs> So, Brendan, I, I remember the story about Utah Jazz falling apart after Royce O'Neal left there <laughs> because yeah. he's a great locker room presence. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so maybe maybe he will completely transform this team. Into like he did in Brooklyn contender. with KD. Oh, yeah. Just bring everyone together. Nurkic comes out and says it's the best leader he's ever played for. Um <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, I I don't know, man. I'm with Will. This Suns roster, in my opinion, is kind of an abomination. I think Nuggets fans secretly, if not outwardly, when the Kevin Durant trade was made, we all gave our due respect of, oh, shit, that's Kevin Durant. But I think everyone kind of wanted to finish the sentence. I was I was are, happy. I was happy. Are we man. sure it's a better version than the Suns that, that the Nuggets couldn't compete with? And I understand that the Chris Paul was aging and all that. It's very easy hindsight move, like getting Kevin Durant. A lot of teams would do it, but they were better before. Uh, the roster is just the better. roster is like, yeah, it's like um, it's like a like a skin mask, you know, like a serial killer, like stitched together parts. It's like gross. I hate it. Uh, it is. It's the Buffalo Bill of the right. Of I don't know, NBA. like. It, Bryce O'Neal helps in that. I think in the past, like to get defenders on the floor, they had to get straight up zeros on offense on the floor. And I guess you could argue O'Neal's not as bad in that sense, but you know, it's not, it's not moving me. It's not moving me. Yeah. I, I just want to, to send regards to our guys. It's PHNX. They, they have a great, great team to cover. And, well, and if they got and away just, from not getting miles bridges. That would have been a tough. That's work true. Around. But shout out to my guy Espo, by the way, for yeah, coming out early and and because that look, you could argue on 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 the court that was the move they needed to make, and I I actually really love that PHNX gave a hard no thanks to that ahead yep. of time. Yep. Pete, I would you, like, that, that, would sorry, you... that one I would have hated if they got Miles Bridges like playing wise. Of course, we would have hated him like really nicely as a whole team, but like on the court, it would have been like, come on, like right. him too, <laughs> right? Yeah. I sorry, I Pete, think this. Uh, this son's era is hilarious. I mean, it is. it's like if you go into the kitchen and you don't know what you're doing and you want to make a smoothie, you know, and then you put like 10 ingredients in there and then it's not good. And you're like, you know what? I want to try it again. Let me less blueberries this time. I'll put strawberries in now. It's like the, the sons just keep reshuffling the deck chairs. And it's like, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like it, it's just not good. So <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. You know, I, they were telling us how good Metsu was, and now they trade him for Roddy. Like, I don't even know who's a better player, but they're just like, well, it's not working, so let's try something new. Guys, you put sawdust in there. It's not going to work. Smoothies exactly. not going to be tasty. So, <clears throat> Walmart protein. Before we go, who is the toughest, uh, the toughest opponent for the Nuggets in the West after the trade deadline? Like, give me just a short, short Nuggets. answer. Clippers for me. Clippers. Uh, after the Nuggets. After the Nuggets. Clippers for the for the for, Nuggets. For, 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 getting, for getting out of the West. Out from the oh, West. Oh yeah, I'm going Nuggets. I'm uh, if, if we're I'm going Timberwolves if we're being like other teams, obviously. Like yeah, other teams yeah. than the Nuggets. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Clippers for me. 
again, Clippers. Okay. Clippers. Okay. I can't I know. do Clippers. I can't I, do Clippers. I, I think do. this one's a little different just because they have a I point can't, guard. I can't. We heard this how many times? Man? Hey, let me follow it's, up by saying. This time is different. Let me follow up by saying I'm thrilled that that's the answer. You know, it's yeah. not like <laughs> I'm not like, oh, they got to get through the KD Warriors. But I do think it is. I think I think with Harden for the first time, the Clippers can get great shots as opposed to putting great shot makers in tough shot making position. And I just think that part is actually different. Yeah, they got a point guard this time. It's just that well, it's hardened. <laughs> and Kawhi's done it before. So OKC and Minnesota are still unproven to me. I'm not, sure. I'm not worried about them. But they got to stay healthy. They have plenty of questions to answer. No, I'm, to I'm on the Wolves, man. I don't know. I, I like what they had last year, and I didn't have they didn't have Reed or McDaniels. And they got, again, more mature with it. And, and for some reason, like the punching fest didn't hurt them. So they might blow, you know, they might implode. So they have that weird, like, mental side of mm-hmm. it. But with the Clippers, I don't know. I, mean, we've, I can't. I can't. Until I see them win, I I can't even. Like, when they're up 3-1 against the Nuggets, I still won't believe it. Like, so <laughs> I, I'm, I just, I'm just glad they didn't get another guy on this deadline because supposedly they had some assets to, to throw away and get one more though. guy. <laughs> They, they didn't, didn't so that's <laughs> yeah. that's cool. That's cool. Okay, that was fun, guys. Thank you for spending an hour plus of your Saturday with me. Do you have any closing words before we go? I uh, I like where the Nuggets are, fellas. I really do. I know it's easy to say, but I think you look around the league and it's you would take this, right? If before the season I came to you and said, here's the scenario on February 10th, would you take it? I think we all would. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that's that's a good sentiment to end this show on. And for you, my dear listener, thank you for staying with us to the very end. I hope you'll join me again next weekend on the Serbian Corner. Idemo nagetsi. Idemo nagetsi.